Good morning. It's good to be back with you all. Uh, great to be worshiping with you this morning. This is my first official Sunday back after being gone uh, for the month of July. And so I just want to say it's great to be back with you all and worshiping this morning. And, and uh, thank you uh, to you all for releasing Katie and I to be able to get away with the family for a couple of weeks and, and have some time of refreshment or renewal. It, uh, it wasn't an easy July, but it was a good July. Uh, it was a good July, but not, not, not altogether easy. And uh, thankful for you all uh, releasing us for our July time away. Also want to say, which relates with why it wasn't an easy July, how grateful I am to you all, uh, the body here at Calvary, for surrounding Clyde and Carolyn Lundgren in this intense time of grief and sadness and loss. Been proud to be your pastor and to see the way you all have loved them and surrounded them with your affection and with your prayers. So thank you so much for that. And the way you've come alongside each other to bear one another's burdens and, and thus fulfill the law of Christ, that has been so encouraging to see as well. It is encouraging always to see the body of Christ being the body of Christ. Hands and feet and heart and face and tears and hugs of the body of Christ with one another. And that is so, so encouraging. And we have seen that in these last couple of weeks as the body of Christ here at Calvary. And my heart has been really encouraged by that. So thank you. Thank you, Calvary, for that. That's been super encouraging. Well, the tradition has developed over the years, if you've been here in August, uh, going back a number of years now, that my first Sunday back from being away, I share a message and really try to answer the question like, what has God been up to in my life? What has God been teaching me? And, and so this morning's message, I'm going to kind of continue on in that tradition of answering that question. And so it's going to be a little, little different sermon than normal. It's going to be a little more autobiographical than normal, but I hope you will find that the sermon is not self-indulgent, but I really hope you find it to be helpful and encouraging, that what I believe the Lord has been teaching me kind of big picture in my life will have some, some kind of application and translation into your life and be helpful to you. This morning's message in answering the question what God's been up to in my life comes at a significant time. I begin this, this month, I begin my 10th year of ministry here at Calvary. And so I had, yeah, come on now. And so, so I've accrued, right? I've accrued a little bit of experience and insight over the years as a pastor. And I've learned a few things. And, and I want to share one of the big things I've learned over the years with you this morning. I also want to say that I'm coming out, I like to say, I'm coming out of a probably a two-year, what I call, inward journey. If you've heard me preach one of these messages in recent years, you know a little bit more of my story. Uh, about two years ago, I entered into what I called at the time a midlife crisis. Looking back now, two years on, I really see that not as a midlife crisis, but can I put it this way, a midlife catalyst for growth. Not a crisis but a catalyst for growth. Some deep self-discovery, some soul-searching, what I like to call an inward journey in my own life, starting about two years ago. And I, in many ways, feel like I'm sort of at the tail end, at least of that phase of this process the Lord has had me in 
over the last couple of years. And this morning, I want to share with you one of the main upshots of that time. If I were to capture it in a thought, capture it in an insight, capture it, you might say, in a lesson, here's what I want to share with you. I tried to capture it in the title for the message. You may have seen in your worship bulletin on the way in, the title for this morning's message. Did you see that? The title, What's Better Than Knowing God? What's better than knowing God? And I suspect some, or perhaps most of you, thought, think that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> and that the answer is an obvious, nothing is better than knowing God. I guess that would have been my answer for most of my Christian life until relatively recently. Nothing's better than knowing God. That's kind of the goal of the Christian life, to know God. And so I have, at least for me personally, I've organized and uh, uh, deployed my energies and resources to knowing more of God and knowing more about Jesus. Lots of education, lots of classes taken, lots of books read, lots of conferences attended, reading my Bible, memorizing my Bible, going to seminars, listening to sermons, training, mentoring, small groups, all the rest of it. It's all been good. It's all been helpful. But what I realize, especially after this two-year inward journey, is that knowing God can only take you so far. There's something more. There's something I would even want to say that's better than knowing God. Do you know what that is? Being known by God. Being known by God. Here's the huge lesson for me over the past two years. Through lots of help, lots of encouragement, Professional counselor, spiritual mentor, cohort of pastors, family, friends, congregation, elders, colleagues. Here's the huge lesson. I'm going to put it in a simple sentence. To be known is better than to know. To be known is better than to know. In our relationship with God in the fight of faith, in living out the Christian life, in enjoying intimacy with the Lord, and in enjoying relationship and intimacy and fellowship with others. To be known is better than to know. It's an interesting thing. I mean, what I, what I hadn't ever really appreciated was just how important this theme of being known by God actually is never really says, kind of lingered with that thought before until recent months, the last two years. The theme of being known by God, so important, not just in my own personal life, but I see the theme now in the Bible itself. Did you know the Bible talks about not just knowing God, but being known by God. In fact, if you look closely at the Bible, you will see just how important this theme of being known by God, in fact, is. Let me invite you to grab a Bible. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? I want to show you a passage of Scripture 
that illustrates this point. That yes, there is knowing God and that is beneficial and helpful and can be life-changing. But there is also something more fundamental, I would say even better than that, and that's being known by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you may know that passage as the famous love passage in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, often read at weddings, for example. Paul writes this, beginning at verse 8 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Listen to this. He's talking about the end times, right? Love, we need to live a life of love now. It's the highest and best. But here's where it's all headed. He talks about the future. Sing about the future. Verse 8 of chapter 13. Love never ends, he says. And go on forever. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, check it out, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, when we see God on the last day, the partial, Paul says, will pass away. When I was a child, he says, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, though, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then on the last day, face to face. Now watch this, what he says. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, check it out, even as I have been fully known. What does Paul anticipate as the great and beautiful discovery on the last day? Not that we will finally know fully, but that we will fully realize we've been fully known all of our lives. That's the amazing discovery. Turn in your Bible, would you, as well, to Galatians chapter 4. Let me show you another passage where this theme of being known by God is so important. Makes sense of Christian living and conversion and all the rest of it. It makes sense of how we break free from the sin that enslaves and entangles us. Galatians chapter 4, this would, would merit all sorts of reflection on these two verses. I just want to read them and make a simple observation and commend it to you to come back to. Galatians 4 verse 8, Paul says this, talking about when the Galatians became Christians, we would say, or when they met Jesus. He says this, formerly... When you did not know God, this is what happened. You were enslaved to those that by, by nature are not gods. But now that you've met Jesus, you see what he says, you have come to know God, but then he has to stop himself in mid-sentence and, and sort of go deeper, go to the deeper level, and notice what he says, or rather to be known by God. We talk, don't we, about coming to Christ and following Jesus as coming to know God, coming to know Jesus. But as true as that is, there's something even truer to say. And that is being known by God. That's what conversion is at its core, being known and loved by God. That is the Christian life at its core, being known and loved by God. Galatians chapter 4. Let me invite you now to turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me show you one more passage. 1 Corinthians 8 chapter, verses 1 through 3. Paul talking about knowledge and how knowledge is a good thing, but knowledge can, as I think we all recognize, puff us up. Knowledge gives us a sense of control. Knowledge gives us a sense of mastery. 
Knowledge can give us a sense of domination and, and hubris and all the rest of it. Paul critiques that and then turns it on its head. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, speaking to the Corinthians who are quite puffed up in their knowledge of God and knowledge of the things of Jesus. This is what he says. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Paul says this, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But notice what he says here. But if anyone loves God, notice he says, not that he knows God. Rather, what does he say? If anyone loves God, he is known by God. Knowing so easily leads, leads to pride, but being known to love. What I hadn't fully appreciated until recent weeks and months is this, that we are first known by God, then we come to know God. What I hadn't fully appreciated is this, that we cannot know God rightly without first being known by Him. You see, what I hadn't fully appreciated is this. We will not love God or love other people rightly and well without being ourselves known by God. What I hadn't fully appreciated is this. We won't enjoy freedom. We will remain in bondage and enslavement, as Paul talks about in Galatians 4, unless we are known deeply by God. And what I hadn't fully appreciated is this, that we won't grow in faith and hope and love without being known, without experiencing the fact that we are known by God. And you know what I hadn't fully appreciated is this, that one day when we see God face to face, we will realize that we have always been fully known. Known by God. Maybe some of you are wondering at this point, why is it so important that we be known by God when, hey, wait a minute, I thought God knows everything about us. I thought God was omniscient is what the theologians, I thought God had exhaustive understanding of who I am. Why are you going on and on, Pastor Todd, about being known by God? I thought God already had me figured out. Doesn't Psalm 139 say this? Oh, Lord, you've searched me and know me, Right? What's this idea of being known by God? Well, here's the idea. Not that we let God in on something about us that God doesn't already know. That's not the idea. No, the idea is this. The key is this. Listen very carefully, please. The key is this. To experience being known by God. Not to acknowledge, well, yeah, God knows everything about me but to linger with the experience and the reality that God knows you, that God knows me. Or to put it this way, to know deep down in your soul that you are known by God. That God knows you, the real you. Not the Facebook profile page you. 
Not the idealized self you. God sees you. God knows you. And the transformative reality is to experience being known by this God who knows you and more than that, who loves you, who sees you because of Jesus, loves you. To experience that in the depths of your bones and of your being and of your soul. My sense is, however, that we tend, rather than being known by God or even being known by other people, we tend rather to play what I'm going to call peekaboo with God. Anybody ever played peekaboo before? You get the little pillow off the couch, you got your 10-month-old, he's kind of nestled in the corner of the couch, and you, you whoo, ha, peekaboo, whoop. You do the little smiley face, and you come out from hiding, and you do the little smiley face, and everybody gets to giggle, and it's a great time, and then you go back behind the pillow, and you do it again, you do it again. It's peekaboo, right? Well, I think we approach God that way so often. Like we come to God with the smile, hey, peekaboo God, here I am, ah. <laughs> Right? Little peekaboo game with God. Show him our best self, our idealized self, our Facebook profile self, our doing great with Jesus self, rather than our real self, rather than, here I am, God. Here I am. Why do we play that peekaboo game with God? Why do we play that peekaboo game with each other? I think it's because deep down we don't think that God will really love us and embrace us in ourselves, in all that we are. We come by that fear, we come by that anxiety, that doubt about the kindness and mercy and love of God very naturally. You know, that tendency has been with us for a very long time. Do you remember those two characters in the opening pages of the Bible, Adam and Eve? They were, Genesis chapter 2 says, remember the phrase, naked and unashamed. Fully known is what it's saying. Naked and unashamed. The point is not so much had no clothes on. The point is full exposed self and no shame, no hiding, no peekaboo with God in the garden, naked and unashamed. Yet, of course, sin enters the picture. They doubt the goodness of God. They turn their back on God's word and promise. They take a nosedive. We call it the fall from a state of grace into this place called guilt and condemnation. And in the place of guilt and condemnation, what comes along with that is this searing emotional response we all have deep in our souls, and we call it shame. Shame. Different than guilt. Guilt is, I've done something wrong. Shame is more basic. Shame is more painful. It is, I am wrong. I am wrong. 
Guilt is there will be consequences for what I've done. Shame is I will be rejected for who I am. That settles in on their souls, Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, God shows back up in the garden and he's got to go hunting for them. Because they're hiding in their shame. And so he arrives on the scene and has to ask a question. Where are you? Where are you? I imagine God showing up on the scene of human history now and in our neighborhoods and schools and places of work and communities. And I can imagine him asking the same question. I see all these people, but where are you? Everybody's playing peekaboo. Everybody's hiding in their shame. See, we get this very tendency very naturally from a very, very early age, you might say, and it goes all the way back to the garden, Genesis chapter 2, and then inverted in Genesis chapter 3, and we have been playing peekaboo with God ever since. And you know what happens when we play peekaboo with God? We end up playing peekaboo with each other. We live in a peekaboo culture, don't we? What is social media in our culture but a great game of peekaboo? <laughs> Facebook pages and constructed idealized selves put out on the internet, you know, all this kind of posturing and, and, and just flashing the smile or the, the good picture and then backing away, feeling like you're connected, but you are totally anonymous, really. We live in a peekaboo culture. Tragically, the peekaboo culture impacts all of our lives, and what we find is that churches can be peekaboo places too. Show up on a Sunday morning, got your Sunday best on, your best face on, give each other little glimpses, then disappear to our private worlds only to return next Sunday and play another round of peekaboo. Problem with a peekaboo church is that it encourages peekaboo Christianity and it engenders peekaboo Christians. Peekaboo Christianity, do you know what that is? That is a kind of Christianity that it fixates on knowing because it's safe and it's domesticatable. Fixates on knowing rather than on being known. Peekaboo Christianity. And with peekaboo Christianity and peekaboo churches, we have peekaboo Christians who may sit next to each other in the pews on a Sunday morning, but they're not really known. They're not known. They may know their Bible, but no one knows their soul. Show up at church or show up at small group, and it's as it were at the small group meeting. You have some dinner together or a meal or some chips and salsa or guacamole, and you're hanging out and having a big time. Then the conversation starts, and it's as it were people passing the pillow and playing peekaboo. Not really being known. Listen, I don't want to be overly critical about peekaboo churches or peekaboo culture or peekaboo Christianity or peekaboo. Christians, because you know who can be the worst offenders of all? Pastors. I mean, the profession lends itself to peekabooism. <laughs> like, 
arrive on Sunday morning, get up on a stage, talk about a bunch of stuff, shake some hands afterwards, disappear to your private life, and never be known by anyone or even by yourself. There are reasons why the average tenure of a senior pastor is between three and four years, and many of them melt down and blow their lives up. It breeds peekaboo Christianity in their own lives. So I don't be critical of anybody. This is aimed at myself. This is a lesson for myself. Before it's a lesson for anybody here. But here's the deal, y'all. Here's the heartbeat of this. Here's what I want you to hear, that when we play peekaboo with one another, when we play peekaboo with God, we, we settle for so much less. When we have a peekaboo Christianity, we miss the power of the Christian faith. When we act as peekaboo Christians, play peekaboo with God, we miss out on a real, vital, intimate relationship with God and with one another. Because here's the deal, please listen, here is the deal. Being known by God Catch this, being known by God, not knowing God, being known by God is the key to a deep, intimate, real relationship with God. Being known by Him. If you have saltine cracker relationship with God that is stale and dry, and you think the solution is you just got to get to know God better. Study your Bible more, right? May I suggest the key way forward for you is not to try to get to know God better, but is to let yourself be known by God. There's no more direct path to intimacy with God or intimacy with other people than to be known. But listen, this is also true. Being known by God is the key not only to intimate relationship, but to a transformative Christian life. To a vibrant Christian life, yes, but to a transformed Christian life. You know, in church settings, in Christian settings, in Christian circles, we often talk about head knowledge, right? Person just, I just have head knowledge that hasn't gotten down to my heart and then, and then gotten its way out into my life, right? You got a bunch of stuff in your head, but it's not transformative. That's a perennial problem. We've all probably struggled with that issue, how to get head knowledge into your heart so it gets out into your life. And we have lots of different proposed solutions for that, like if you just make teaching more practical or have accountability or these kinds of things. I don't want to downplay any of those, but what I want to say is the key insight is this. The way to get head knowledge into heart, out into your life, is not by knowing more, but by being known. By being known. By God letting yourself be known. But check this out. Being known by God, I think, is the key to making God known. You got a heart for evangelism, you got a heart for outreach, you got a heart for letting people know about the good news of the gospel. What is the good news of the gospel? What is the good news that we have in Jesus? It is not this 
that if you can just play a successful game of peekaboo with God and bait him into really admiring your happy, idealized self, well, then God will probably love you. And if you do it really well, he'll love you even more. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this. Realizing, check it out, that we are far worse than we ever thought but loved far more than you could ever imagine. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Knowing, experiencing that you are known by God, by Christ, in the depth of your beauty and the depth of your brokenness, and yet the love still comes at you full force. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. How do you do this, you may be wondering. How do you let yourself be known by God? That's not the way we typically talk, is it? We can come up with strategies and classes and seminars and books for getting to know God better. But what's the deal with this? Like, how do I let myself be known by God better? That's, that's an interesting question. What are some ways to go about that of being known? How do I be known by God? Can I offer a few suggestions to you about how to be known by God? And here's the first one. Pray. Pray. But not just pray. This is important. Listen to this. Be fully present when you pray. Don't have your body and brokenness over here, and you're like idealized Christian spiritual person over here doing the praying. With your tight prayer list and your Bible verses for the day and, and you're feeling good about Jesus and you're sure Jesus is feeling good about you because all the junk is over there and you're not bringing, you're not even fully present before the Lord. So be fully present when you pray. Practically, what does that mean? That means when you sit down to pray, what happens? Or at least this happens for me. I suspect it may happen for some of you. You sit down and there's this flood of thoughts that come about all sorts of random stuff that are on your heart and mind. And you feel all this stirring in your soul about all the stuff you're concerned about and worried about and thinking about, all the rest of it. What we tend to do is be like, push that stuff aside because i got to pray. God doesn't want all that junk cluttering up my relationship with God. i got to put all that stuff over here so I can get spiritual with God. Rather, being fully present with God means bringing all of that. It's not work. It's just being present with God, being fully present, knowing that he already knows all of it, he already sees everything, and, and yet he invites you to be present and linger in his presence and feel his affirmation and affection and grace and love. Be fully present when you pray. Here's a second thing I would suggest. Share with God the unedited version of your story. Yeah, I mean, I think the deal here is when we're talking with other people, certainly we do this, and then when we're talking with God, I suspect we do this as well. We like to <clears throat> think that God is just interested in seeing the highlight reel of our life. You know, like the greatest hits of my life, like, God, check this out. You're going to be impressed because I'm pretty impressed with my highlight reel. Not the real self, but the idealized self. Not our shadow side, but just the gold. 
But what we need to learn to do is to share with God in prayer the unedited version of our story, whatever the story may be, an event that happened, a circumstance, a conversation, your childhood. A thousand things could be the story. Sharing with God the unedited version of that, that is to say, sharing with the Lord what really happened. What you were really thinking. What you really did or did not do. And finding that God meets you in that place. And finding that God loves you more than you could imagine. Share with God the unedited version of your story. Third thing I would suggest is this. Let God hear you name your dark emotions. Let God hear you name your dark emotions. What are dark emotions? I think we know all these things. <clears throat> Grief, anger, envy, anxiety, fear, resentment. These are dark, <clears throat> excuse me, emotions because we, <clears throat> excuse me, we like to keep them in the dark. <laughs> we don't like to talk about these things. We like to keep them out of sight and out of mind. And yet, grief, anger, envy, anxiety, fear, resentment, these kinds of things, these are primordial, powerful realities shaping all of our lives. We cannot be known for who we are without naming our dark emotions. So let God hear you name your dark emotions. And may I suggest you can take a cue from the Psalms. The psalmist, David in particular, pretty good at naming their dark emotions. Remember what Jesus quoted on the cross, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a dark emotion to name. And if you want a really exciting small group meeting, just devote 90 minutes at your next small group to discussing how have you been dealing with anger lately? Or who do you envy in your life right now? Or what kind of resentment are you still carrying around today? I mean, that'll make an interesting small group meeting, I promise. Really. And you will come away knowing each other better, and you will come away, listen, being known better, being. There's a fourth suggestion I want to set out to you, and it's this. This is a difficult one, but I want to set it out anyways for you to consider. Let God in on your secrets. Let God in on your secrets. God, of course, knows all about your secrets and mine, right? Let's not fool ourselves. But it's like the dark emotions. It's like the unedited version of the story. It's like being fully present. It's naming it in God's presence that is so transformative to our soul. I officiated the funeral of uh, uh, about a year or so ago of a recovering alcoholic who'd been sober for many, many years. And one of the sponsors at the memorial service shared the Alcoholics Anonymous mantra, or at least one of them, which is a powerful, powerful truth, and it's this, you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. The same, y'all, is true for the Christian life. 
And so let me ask you, does God know your secrets? Have you named your secrets before God? Yes, of course, He knows, but have you shared them with God? To experience being known in the mercy of God, have you shared your secrets with God? These four things, y'all, I think can help us in the path of being known by God, being fully present when you pray, sharing the unedited version of the story, letting God hear you name your dark emotions, and letting God in on your secrets. But here's one final thought I want to share with you, and it's this. We can help one another to be known. That's part of the, what the role of the body of Christ is, to come alongside one another and help one another be known. And how do we do that? How can I come alongside you? How can you come alongside me? How can we come alongside each other to help each other <clears throat> grow <clears throat> Excuse me, in our ability to be known? Two, <clears throat> two simple suggestions. The first is this. Are you ready for this one? Learn to ask good questions. You hear that? Learn to ask good questions. We had a staff retreat about two months ago, and <clears throat> we were away together for two days. And we discussed only two questions those two days. The first day, this was the question we discussed. What's it like to be you? What's it like to be you? And it generated an amazing amount of conversation. Knowing and being known. And then the second day, we asked maybe even a better question. What's it like to be married to you? <clears throat> learn, learn to ask good questions. We can help each other be known by learning to ask good questions. And that enables us and empowers us to be known by God as we are known by one another in the body of Christ. Learn to ask good questions. Start with those. How might that transform your marriage or your relationship with your teenage son or daughter if you just were to ask regularly, hey, what's it like to be you today? So learn to ask good questions, but then do this. Second thing, learn to listen well. Don't use the question as a, as a sort of a platform for telling them what you'd like to tell them. And don't use questions, right, or, or asking questions and then like all of a sudden kick into evaluation mode or comparison mode like, oh, I'm glad that happened to you. You know, that happened to my Aunt Susie too. And please, if you're going to listen well, don't spiritualize other people's experience. Don't get that big Christian bumper sticker out that all things work together for good and kind of paste it on someone's experience and delegitimize it. Just listen, linger empathetically and patiently. This past week, it was so encouraging. I think it was on Monday night. I was sat on the front porch, it was late in the evening, with a good friend from Calvary who came over just to hang out and talk and see how I was doing. And, and he invited me to share, what is it like to be you? What is it like to be, he was wondering, a pastor? And so I was able to share with him some of the tensions that I live with, particularly going through times of grief and hardship with people in the body. What is it like to experience that as a pastor? and a person, and a friend. 
not just a professional, but a human being. And what was so encouraging was he didn't try to explain or compare or spiritualize. He just empathetically listened. And he got to know me better, and I had the life-giving experience of being known, being known. We can do that for one another, creating space to be known. Several years ago, we put together a mission statement at the church. Does anybody know our mission statement as a church? Oh, come on, that's a bad sign. Come on, that wasn't a rhetorical question. Come on. That's right, making Jesus Christ known in Oak Park and around the world. And when we put that mission statement together a couple of years ago, I didn't know that there was anything more to the story. I mean, what more than like, what's better than knowing Jesus and making Jesus known? Of course, churches are called to teach and preach and disciple, instruct and train and catechize and all the rest of it. Yes, they're called to make Jesus Christ known. But listen, if that's all the church does, I'm now convinced it will fail in its mission. Because if the church is truly to be the body of Christ, then we must be a gathering of people who, yes, know God, know Jesus, but are known by God, are known by Jesus. And so let me close with this simple question to you. What if Calvary were to be that place? What might that look like? What might that be like? What if we were to be about not just making Jesus Christ known in Oak Park and around the world, but helping others and ourselves be known by Jesus Christ? What if that was an essential part of our mission to help one another? and to help others. Not only know Christ, but be known by Christ. How might our church be different? How might our community be different? How might our families be different? How might our marriages be different? How might our relationships be different? How might our faith be different? And how, brothers and sisters, let me ask you, might our own lives be different if we prioritize not just knowing Christ, but being known by Christ? Let's pray. Father, it is an amazing privilege and joy to know you. As we sing in that song, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you there. There is no better thing. There is so much truth in that statement, that reality. And yet at the same time, we want to profess this morning, confess there's something even richer and deeper we see in Scripture, and that is to be known by a holy and righteous and merciful and loving God in all of our beauty and in all of our brokenness, to be known by by you. It takes courage. It takes faith. It takes community. It takes family. It takes relationships to walk that path of being known. It's scary. 
It can be shame-filled. So we ask for you, Holy Spirit, to take us by the hand, each one of us, and guide us along that path out of the shadows, the anonymity, into a place of truly being known. They're finding that we are loved in the depth of our being because of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.